Hello and welcome to Pop Up Submissions Live. Today's theme is romance. It's in the air. And doesn't the world need a good dose of that at the moment? So join me for the next 60 minutes or so for unashamed, unabashed, pure escapism. Go on. You know you deserve it. Here to help me with today's submissions is Essex's answer to Jane Austen. It's USA Today best-selling author, Emma Robinson. Yeah. And we've just got the results in from a poll we conducted to find the most romantic male litopian. And here's the answer. It's Dean Baxter. Last week's winner was Rebecca Quinlan's The Weight of the World, a harrowing yet inspirational memoir of suffering and recovering from anorexia. Rebecca scored an impressive but not unassailable 58 points. So let's see if this week's submissions can beat that. I want to remind you that this month's Craft Chat is now open. It's just gone live in the colony. This is your chance to both learn some writing craft skills and to contribute your knowledge to the collective wisdom. So head on over there right now, at least after the show. Now let's get stuck into the very first submission of the day. This is called The Lady and the Mill Worker. It's historical romance in Brackett's Regency, which kind of dates the period nicely. Thank you very much, Lisa. That's the author, Lisa Torquay. Oh, it's a good name, that. Sounds like a writer's name. You know, some do, some don't. That sounds very, very writerly to me. And you've got a QR code there, too. What more could you want? Flash that through your smartphone and see where Lisa wants to take you. This is Lisa's blurb. Some like it rough. Later, Emma Stapleton was assigned by her brother, the Earl of Worley, to save the earldom. There's a lot of Earling and Worling going on there. Uh, Though she hasn't volunteered, her task is to marry the richest mill owner in the land and siphon the resources to save the earl. And, like sheep walking to the slaughterhouse, Emma travels to her intended mansion to accomplish her mission with dutiful intent. Only she hadn't counted on colliding with one portentous mill worker capable of dismantling everything she thought right and and what don't know uh, you got elided there lisa very sorry about that but um it does happen sometimes um, pay attention to the word count, that's the thing. So let me tell everybody about you. Uh, Lisa Torquay comes from a multicultural family. She graduated in history and earned a master's degree in British Empire. I didn't know there was such a, a, a degree subject, actually. British Empire. She's worked as an English and history teacher at high schools. She married a Norwegian and moved to Norway, where she's lived for three years. Writing has been her passion since she was 13. When she's not writing, she's messing up in the kitchen because she loves cooking as much as she's clumsy. Uh, well, let's pursue the uh, culinary uh, metaphor a little bit, shall we? Uh, here's our cordon bleu narrator. It's Hannah. A grey wool dress and cloak. She'd been quiet for most of this last stretch. The Lady and the Millworker by Lisa Torquay, read by Hannah. Chapter 1, Manchester, 1821. I must stop at once. 
the middle-aged woman across from her said in a rather strained voice. Eyes that had been on the window, blinded the scenery passing by it, turned to the other traveller. But we're just minutes from arriving, Mrs. Dodson, Emma Stapleton answered her chaperone. They'd been on the road long enough. Their destination couldn't be far. They perched in a carriage, travelling from Lancashire to Manchester. Although the trip didn't count so many miles, they'd stopped a few times to refresh themselves and the horses. I don't think I can wait, Mrs. Dodson insisted. Wrapped primly in a grey wool dress and cloak, she'd been quiet for most of this last stretch. At that moment, the older woman carried a distressed expression on her plain face. Of course, Emma yielded and knocked on the carriage's roof. Not that Emma was in a hurry to arrive, not at all. She'd sat in this carriage, hoping they'd never make it, but the distance and the weather wouldn't cooperate. The previous week, Thomas had taken care of the last details concerning her future. This trip served for her to make good on that, to arrive in Manchester and become betrothed to a man she'd yet to meet, Percy Russell. As a guest in his sumptuous home, as far as the Earl of Warley and esteemed brother had described it to her, they were to become at least acquainted before the sentence became a true prison, namely her wedding. The transaction was simple by all accounts. Impoverished old aristocracy marrying new money, cotton mill money at that, big money, big cotton mill, one of the biggest in the realm. Thomas, her beloved brother, emphasised with an undisguised tone of victory. And so Emma drove to the gallows. A slight delay wouldn't make any difference in her gloomy destiny, but would give her a few moments to breathe and prepare to meet her husband-to-be. She remembered her fellow debutants, imagining their matches and the dreamy way they talked about them. As though heroes and princes were a thing of reality, Emma scoffed to herself. She'd like to know why people told that fairy tale nonsense to girls like her when the stories would prove to be blatant lies. Were she to write one of those, she'd make the princesses have an arranged marriage none to their liking and learn to deal with it as though they drank watery tea in a prosaic, chore-wise, tasteless manner. Perhaps Emma wouldn't detect this sour sensation in her throat right at that moment had she been properly warned of the facts of life. Sour, yes, as in one sweet, now stale, ruined. The carriage lurched to a halt, and through the window, Emma described a tavern outside, right on the corner of two narrow streets. The sun, tilted near the horizon, cast warm shades on the shabby establishment. Since she'd never been to Manchester, she couldn't tell what part of the city they were in. Oh, thank goodness, Mrs. Dodson pronounced, already preparing to alight. Emma would also stretch her legs. Out in the street, the driver accompanied the older woman while the footman stood by Emma's side at the crossing. Taverns weren't meant for ladies, which made the servants vigilant. After all, Emma would soon be the key to a treasure chest one that was famously larger and fuller than those of fairy tales.
Emma peered around as men in simple attire entered the place. Apparently, the workday had ended and they gathered here. Having made its rounds, her gaze parked nowhere in special. That was when she saw him. He leaned against the far side of the tavern, by its window, arms crossed as if he waited for someone. Under his cap, a few dark brown locks showed in the setting sun as the play of lights and shadows made the angles on his face sharper. From here, about 20 yards away, she discerned his low quality attire of an undefined drab color that clad a tall, fierce frame of thick arms and long, solid legs, a man used to physical toil. His head turned this way and that until the sun caught his eyes and Emma caught her breath. They brought to mind forests and waterfalls, the shade between moss and seaweed. The irises glittered in the fading light among long lashes. Okay, there we go. It's like tech hitch. Excuse me. Uh, sorry about that, but you can uh, you can benefit from the uh, the uh, glories of the genius room here. Um, a lot of interesting comments. Um, one I'm going to pick on before I'm I'm coming to uh, Emma is Pamela Joe says too many words sound more for a, a children's book um, for something that's assumed to have a good dose of erotic romance. No one has ever perched in a carriage. Mm -hmm. Language definitely not in period. Whole lot of telling. Want to see something? Okay, let's go to. Uh, Emma, what were your first reactions? Okay, well, I can't see you at the moment for some reason. I can just still see the the text, okay. but I will I will talk. I will I can still talk, so that's good. Sure. Um, I right. So I liked. There were some things I liked. I liked the oh, they were there. So I liked the character. Once we got to, go, we only had about a paragraph, I think, which actually told me much about this character. And that paragraph I liked that she seems a little bit dismissive of the whole fairy tale romance thing, a little bit more independent, a bit Lizzie Bennet, I was thinking from Pride and Prejudice, um, which I like. But we don't see much of the of that. And I think, you know, bearing in mind this is the big, the first chapter, this is the first part that we're reading, we get a lot of just description of this carriage journey, yeah. which doesn't really pull me in a great deal and a lot yeah. of exposition so a lot of up being told that um this is what's happening to her so i i wondered actually if this was even starting in the right place obviously mm. um lisa you can write you, you know you've got lovely fluid style it's, you know it's um you know that's good but i think maybe i was thinking we could start banging with an argument between her and her brother maybe mm. or um you know just something with a bit more fire to it um and I also wasn't sure about Earl of Worley. Because yeah, to me, it was a tongue twister. <laughs> That's difficult to say. It's a tongue twister, actually. Yes. That's the thing. I, so often, I don't know if you do this, Amber, with your writing, but it seems to me a, a lot of the time, many authors actually don't read their own work out loud. Yes. And I think that that is the thing, isn't it? You've got to. Mm. And I think I've learned that from having to read opening chapters on websites to promote my book. I suddenly, you hear it. I mean, I do read my work aloud to myself, but. When I'm reading it for an audience, suddenly you, you find those words where you're going to trip up. But yeah, I think Earl of Worley makes him sound like a bit of a children's book character. So I would maybe he change a that. Bit. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Monty Python, possibly. Um, yeah. Dean, did it make your heart skip a beat or two? 
Um, I wouldn't quite go that far. Um, but as Emma said, I mean, the, the writing, nothing wrong with the writing at all. Um, it's quite uh, quite nice, concise writing, quite tight. Um, I, had, I had an issue with the title. I mean, when I first saw Lady and the Mill Worker, um, to me, that just seemed cliched, almost to the point of parody. Tis a bit, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's so obvious for this kind of... Um, this kind of genre um but then when i read the blurb and the, the the liking it rough there was something about liking it rough that it started off with the verb and it almost it almost made me think ah okay is this a little bit more tongue-in-cheek than i first thought is, is, is this a bit knowing be. it might is there be. something but there's nothing that's really given me that in the text so far so if they're playing it straight then i think the title probably needs addressing because to me it's it's way too cliched but if it's a sort of knowing little bit, you know, bit of a parody, little bit kind of um, tongue in cheek, then I think the title mm. is great in that case, you know. Yeah. Um, but if Lisa is playing it straight, and this is what it appears to be, which is, um, you know, Regency romance, same kind of old story, you know, the lady and the mill worker marrying for money. Um, I would be interested in your take on that because to me, I think that. There's not probably much of a market for that anymore. It's probably you a know what? I don't know. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm an agent. I know all these things. I don't actually. But I, I suddenly it was in my mind, and I was going to ask Emma, "Do you is this? You know, Dean thinks this this genre is a little bit old-fashioned. But I mean, is there a market? Well, do you think? I yeah, I tell you what's interesting. And actually, can I just, as a side, ask you to delete my votes for the second one because I've accidentally pressed that button. I'm oh, very sure. Sorry. Yeah, no problem. Um, can do that easy. Uh, thank you. Um, yes, yeah, so I would say I would have agreed with Dean, and, to, and, and actually, though, recently I've heard that post Bridgerton, that the America market mm. for this kind of thing is actually booming at the moment. Um, I think you're right that you need to have a bit of an edge to it. I mean, obviously, Bridgerton isn't your standard. I mean, you've got the, the yeah. passion for a start. Um, so I think there is a big market for this kind of thing. But I think you're absolutely right, Dean, that this does seem a little bit full of tropes. It's a, it's almost like a bit of a Thomas Hardy character, is it? Like a you know, even the title, like you say, is almost... It's almost, it's almost parody, parody, isn't it, of the genre, yeah. yeah it's close, it is. isn't it? Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, I, would, I definitely think there's, there's things to work on there, Lisa. I think that it's... Like I say, I think you can write, and I think... I quite like if we make her a bit more feisty. I, I, th I saw a flash of that in her, the kind of Lizzie Bennett, I'm not going to just do what I'm told. But then I want... My first question is, so why is she doing it? Yeah. If, if that's yeah. how she feels... I know she wants to save the family money, but again, we need maybe something a bit more than that something a bit more that maybe could be revealed later on i don't know but yeah i think it needs it definitely needs a bit more of an edge but i think okay. there is a big market for for this kind of thing in america particularly at the moment because yeah. of Bridgerton. i thought it started out quite promisingly or maybe i just completely misunderstood it because as far as I, I i kind of followed it um we got our protagonist emma um in mm -hmm. de desperate for a wee is that right she was desperate for a wee in a carriage no it was the it was the nurse it was the nurse wasn't yeah, it that needed oh, the wee yeah, yeah. oh <laughs> and i thought well, that's that's a very human way to begin but ah oh, it's a shame yeah. okay because well, i thought way. again i thought we were going to get a bit of a you know like juliet and the nurse in romeo and juliet i thought yeah. we were going to get a bit of that it was going to be yeah. a little bit rude a little bit kind yeah. of oh well you know wait till you see him with his breeches off i thought it was going to be a bit of that yeah um and yeah, then it wasn't exactly. she just did go for a wee 
Okay, so, yeah. Fair enough. I fair think enough. There's, potential, there's definitely potential there, I think. All right, good. Let's see what the number's looking like so far for you, Liz. You've got a 53. It's a solid beginning. Uh, let's pick out the... Uh, junior Shim quite likes your, your craft, actually. That's that's the thing that you've got going for you there. Uh, we're going to push straight on to the second submission of the day, and then we're going to have a little chat with our own Emma. <laughs> Here we go. Submission number two. It's called Student. It's from somebody called Lex. Lex Armand. <coughs> Armandie. I, I don't know. Armandie. Armandie. Oh, heck. <laughs> oh, you know what? You've got to say, you have to say me a pronunciation, guys, if you, if you think I'm going to stumble over a, uh, a word or an expression or a name, because uh, I, I definitely will do. Anyway, it's from Lex. And it's YA romance fantasy, and it's called Student. And this is Lex's blurb. My 15 classmates and I find out that we are actually the modern reincarnation of the gods. Immortal beings who ruled all billions of years ago. More worryingly, though, I'm one of the two elder gods who has to lead them. Who's the other, you ask? The girl I like. Emma Marino. <laughs> Good to say. Our guest of honor today is Emma, the first two... Submissions. <laughs> Protagonists <laughs> whose names are Emma. I mean, how cool is that? However, problems arise like when we get A-bombed by Russians, for example. Oh, my God, don't. Um, or when we meet a not-elf called Billy. Or, most interestingly, when we're chased by Canadian with an illegally large moustache. All right. Not sure where this is going, Lex, but it sounds like a romp. Uh, let me tell you... Uh, let me tell everybody about you. I, myself, says Lex, am an avid 16-year-old student. I think that's possibly the youngest we've had. 16-year-old student, a uh, reader from Spain, who wants to create an eternal community of soft-hearted, teary-eyed romance readers paired with badass, breathtaking, cinematic moment lovers. A personal favourite of mine being, but not limited to, Percy Jackson. All right, so we've got a reading from my very own Percy Jackson for you today. His Student by Lex, read by Robert. The explanation. Your life isn't as bad as you think. Sorry to say, I'm the proof. My name is Pete, by the way, and I'm an elder god. It started out more or less okay, but after... Everything seemed to go downhill. Blades of Sorrow is a collection of nightmares, thoughts, memories and experiences told through the eyes of both myself as well as friends and family that were kind enough to recall some of the lowest points of our lives with excruciating detail. Despite everything, though, this is still a love story. I've done my best to put all the rawest feelings and emotions into writing without losing any of its original intensity. To this day, I don't really know what's the purpose of you reading this. Maybe it was so that I could find closure. But I think there's more to it than that. I know firsthand how bad things can get. I won't say it gets better, because in most cases, it doesn't. My job is not to give you false hope. It's to make you see that you aren't alone. There are millions Billions that share your feelings, and that you can turn to them if everyone else fails you. It's strange, but I believe that we all look back on especially low points of our lives 
with nostalgia, sometimes even with a tiny bit of longing. It's because, to some degree, we find comfort in solitude, even if we don't realize it. In short, when you read this book, I hope that you feel like you can relate to what I feel, as well as that you find happiness in what awaits. Prologue. We are brought up to believe that all stories end well, yet so little of them do. There's a wide assortment of examples for me to prove my point, but I think that one will do. For now. Commander Jolian Black was on his own when it happened. He was in his private quarters, looking at a postcard. He'd been living on the Admiral, a Nimitz-class carrier, for the better part of two months, patrolling the East African coast. The postcard had been sent by his wife and two children, the youngest still learning how to write, but Black didn't mind that. It was the closest thing he got to physical contact with them. A knock on his door. Doors open, Jillian said dismissively, folding up the postcard and putting it away. You need it on the bridge, Commander, the young boy said, though he was the cook's assistant. He often volunteered to carry messages for those on the ship. What's happened this time? Black sighed more to himself than to anyone else as he got to his feet. An unidentified object on sonar, sir. It's got all the officers worried, is all I know. His anxious voice caught the commander's attention. Primordials of the old world are not wild animals. They are more like humans than we may initially believe. They simply lose their way with the course of time sometimes even forgetting who they really are. Not a torpedo, sir. It's unlike anything we've ever encountered, one of the officers explained the situation. It's almost a mile in length, too fast to be a sub. Shit, Black muttered under his breath. You sure it's not a sub? The man at the sonar hesitated. We've pinged it various times, sir. It's, it isn't a metal structure. What? he asked. You're telling me that, that it's a living creature? I don't know what else it could be, sir, he responded helplessly. Even so, added another more senior officer, unless we're stumbling onto some prehistoric creature, I doubt those were as big as this. Jolian looked down, considering the possibilities. ETA to impact? Half a minute at most, it's building up speed, and quickly too. Sound the alarm, he told everyone, and get the boats ready, just in case. Walking to the bow, he leaned over the railing, trying to locate their visitor. Bloody foreigners, and their obsession with making large, dangerous and weird things, Black told himself, cursing the invisible attacker. Humans think that they have come far. They have. But only when viewing the situation from their own point of view. In the true scale of things, humans are the invaders on the primordial's homeland. Alright, there we go. Uh, we've got some new graphics and slight uh, slight tech issues going on, but um, I think we're, we're going to make it. Um, well, let's have a look at the genius room and see um, what the wisdom of the uh, genie is saying. Uh, Ed says, we feel like we're breaking the fourth wall a bit too much. I agree with that, very much so. Um, and Vagabond says, Lex, you're young. I want to know what our own Lex thinks. We've got Lex in the, in the genius room, for heaven's sake. It's very quiet. Uh, Vagabond says, Lex, you're young. Um, this is a great start, but try getting us in the action rather than 
rather than have someone telling someone else about the action. And I know E.G. Logan, that's just scrolled off there, I'm just going to go back, E.G. Logan has said something. This supports all Pete's prologue points. It's two prologues. Two prologues, Lex! <gasps> I'm dying here. Prologitis. What did you think, Dean? Well, I think it was a very good start for a 16-year-old, oh, that's yeah. for sure. Um, I mean, I was, I was, um, it's quite interesting, because when I was looking at the blurb, I thought, this guy's really good, because the way he's, the language in the blurb was, was very good at sounding like a teenager or something that would appeal to teenagers. And, of course, that, then you reveal that he was actually 16. Oh, yeah. so <laughs> it makes sense, that, you know. You know. Um, but I really I really like the voice. I like the first person telling us a story. I actually yeah. quite enjoyed the, you know, I know we had the prologue, then we had the prologue, and, you know, oh, we, some of that yeah. needed to be cut out. We needed to get to the action quicker. Yeah. Um, but when he when he did get there, you know, we had a, we did have a, a story developing. Um, there was intrigue there. There was this, this object. We didn't know what it was that... that you know, they they found on the sonar or the radar. Um, there was some good dialogue there. The writing, you know, if I, if I was reading this not knowing it was a 16-year-old, um, I, th- I think, I, you know, I, I wouldn't have assumed it was a young person or, or somebody as young yeah. as this who had written it. Um, yeah. So I think all in all, well done. Good. Excellent. Yeah, I, I think we want to be encouraging, but we've got to be realistic too. And there's no one more realistic than Emma. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree with Dean that I'm really impressed that you're a 16-year-old and writing like this because I teach 16-year-olds, so I know that, you know, you've really got some flair here and you've, you've clearly got a talent for writing, so I would encourage you to keep keep going with that. What I would also say, though, is for me, this beginning, it just never really got started. So we had yeah. this letter and then the prologue and then we went to being told that he was going to tell us about something that wasn't very exciting so it just didn't get started i agree with dean you can clearly write i would encourage you to keep doing that i think my advice for you now would be if if i you know going back to when i was 16 if i was you what i'd want someone to say to me is um go and read the opening two chapters of percy jackson again go and read the Mm. opening two chapters of a terry pratchett novel maybe i don't know how old you are in terms of your reading but i really enjoyed the book of dave which this reminded me of a little bit in as much as you had these kind of it was looking back at something Mm. um go and do that and also maybe pick up um john york's into the woods i know martin's going to be laughing at me because he recommended that to me and that changed my life go and have a look at that or go and have a look at um libby park uh, libby hawks take off your pants i think you just need to look at something that's going to give you that extra edge about the opening but i agree with dean you can clearly write and i would encourage you to keep going and you're doing amazingly but you need to go back and look at the craft a little bit yep absolutely can i just add one to that yeah as well? go for it, Sorry, go for it Dean, yeah um, soul stein solutions for writers is a very good one yes. oh i don't know that yeah. one i'm gonna write that down oh. what's that oh. yeah, I, so, I read a so different soul one every time <laughs> i write so yeah soul stein. Soul stein. yeah solutions for writers it's quite an absolutely. old one some of the stuff in it's a yeah. bit dated but um it's all there, I think. Yeah, well, storytelling, don't change that much, actually. No. Let's have a look at the uh, the numbers here. Ooh, Thank pretty you. good, Lex. Look at look how you're going there. Um, that's that's very good. Dean's given you uh, a good old uh, 80 out of 100 for Bang. That's the Bang is our commercial potential. I don't, I, sometimes we don't always explain what the uh, references are. Title is obvious, blurb is obvious. Craft is how well we think you're doing it. And Bang is how, how many we think we you're going to sell. And that's not always related to the craft, you know. Sometimes very well written 
certain things don't make it at all and the opposite is also true uh you've gone up to 56 is that right you've gone up to 56 doing really well um so we, we want to be positive and encouraging, but kill those two prologues, please, Lex. Um, I want to have a, uh, have a chat now with Emma um, to see what's going on in Emma's world. And let's, let's go f for the important stuff first, all right? Only for my daughter. When does that come out? April the, I want to say 27th. I think it's the 27th of April. Okay, but it, it doesn't matter what the date is. We can pre-order now, can No, it's the end of it. You can pre-order now. You can please go and pre-order now. Yeah, pre absolutely. Now. So yeah. I'm okay. quite excited about this one. It's a little bit different from my usual hmm. books. It's a little okay. bit. It's only a, tell, only a slight us. sidestep. Just a little bit more... Uh, so they, they, they're not young. It's not babies and mums anymore. It is mothers, but it's teenagers. And I would okay. say it's a little bit more... Uh, definitely not thriller, but kind of leaning that way a little bit, a little bit more domestic. Oh, I like it. I like the sound of it already. Wow. It's romance and thriller <laughs> and good heavens. And now this uh, is just a crap this wide of the screen. Look at that. Look at that. Um, in not doing badly know, for it's very uh, exciting. Yeah. Look at that. USA Today bestseller. Tell us tell us all about this wonderful success. We love, we love well, you, Emma, because your success just goes on and on. <gasps> It was so, I can't tell you how excited it was. Well, Kate will be able to tell you because she was probably seeing me on Twitter almost imploding with excitement. So, yeah, it got to number four in the US. So, um, yeah, on US Amazon. So that was really exciting. And then um, I think one day it sold about 5,000 copies in a day, which is insane, an yes. insane amount of books. <laughs> So, yes, yes, that was really, really exciting. And actually, I got yesterday, my it's going to be a paperback, I think probably off the back of the USA Today bestseller. So, I don't know if you can see that, but yeah, the yeah, US paperbacks good. arrived today. Very nice. And the very most nice. exciting thing is I've got my picture on the back. It's like a real <laughs> book with my picture on the back, <laughs> which I'm very excited about. So, I know. Yeah, so it's, it's been, it's, it was absolutely brilliant. That, that book has, has done its job, most definitely. That's, that's so cool. That's so cool. Tell us, um, there's so, much, so many questions that everyone always wants to ask. And never enough time when you come on. What are we looking for in a good romance novel? Do you think? I mean, that's an open-ended question. Think, but what, what do you really think? Yeah. At, at its heart. I think at its heart, people are looking. Particularly, I don't want to talk about the state of the world, but at the moment, I think romance is doing very well, and it's because there's a certainty in a romance. It doesn't matter that we know in the first three chapters who's going to get with who. It's yeah. about how you take them there. So I think it's all, you know, I know the word journey is very over. over no, go on. It, Use it. it. And it's not just about, you know, it's not just about the romance between the two of them. They need to go on a kind of internal journey. So we want to see those characters. Yeah. We want to know why they don't want to be together. We want to know that. So we, they need to go on an internal journey as well. And we can go with them. Okay, but a lot of romance is heartbreaking. In fact, it's probably not really good, effective, tear-jerking romance unless it's heartbreaking. Why do we want to read about that? It's catharsis. It's catharsis. Uh, That's what we want. We need. To, we need, we've got all this emotion, and we don't know what to do with it. And we want to have a good cry. That's why we. Yeah. It, you know, we need to leak from the eyes. It's it's That's good for us. It's good for us to therapy. do that. And also, I think it it really does. I don't know. I always feel like when I've read one of these books, I'm kind of um, go away and hug my children a little bit tighter. I think it makes you grateful for what you've got as well, I think, which is never yeah. a bad thing. Yeah, that's I just so saw true, isn't it? Kate, yep. yeah, Kate's go ahead. comment yep. there about um, LGBTQ yep. um, 
plus and but yes i would say there's definitely a real market a growing market for those kinds of books because i think it's a you know young people are very very aware of the moment of all the debates that are going on of all the people with opinions of of about identity they're exploring their identity so i think anything that helps them yeah. do that is is fantastic and i think that's the point of literature surely for us to kind of step into someone else's shoes yeah, and and walk in them so. for a while so very um much no i think i think that is fantastic that that's happening just want to ask dean and we we'll see uh, more of that ask dean from uh, your uh, your gender's perspective do you like a good weep occasionally <laughs> yeah more than i'd care to admit i think <laughs> yeah yeah I, th I think romance i think the thing is a romance i think it's something that, that, that everybody can relate to isn't it you know yeah um and even if you would say oh, well, you're not perhaps a fan of romantic fiction even i mean a good thriller a drama mo there's, there's an element of romance in a lot you know most fiction has some kind of element of romance in it or some kind of love story in it you know, yeah. Um, yeah. even if it's not a straight romance, it, there's, there's, I think a good story generally has a, a love story at, at its heart because, um, mm. you know, otherwise it, it, there is no heart there. You know, the story really has to be about Absolutely. love, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, uh, Pamela, Pamela yeah. J says, good to hear a writer talk about catharsis, which essentially means positive <laughs> change. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely right. And doesn't the world need that right now? Here's the title for you. The Shop of Second Chances. That's rather nice title. That's sticking in my mind, that is. Romantic comedy. Oh, yeah. Lifting our spirits here. Thank you, Miriam. Miriam Morrison. This is Miriam's blurb. Everything in Alice's charity shop gets a new lease of life. Wedding dresses, books, hamster cages, and sometimes even people. When Alice gets a hypercritical, hyper-ambitious new boss, her shop starts making a loss. Through a series of mishaps, misadventures and misunderstandings, Alice faces the threat of her beloved shop closing down. Can she manage to save her shop and her band of eccentric, lovable volunteers? And even though she's not looking for romance, will it find her? <laughs> I'm romance and I'm looking for you. Um, tell you about Miriam, previously published with Arrow. Yeah, uh, very well established. Uh, recipe for disaster, based on my experiences of running a country inn in the Lake District. Oh, interesting. Was shortlisted for the Melissa Nathan Award in 2009. I've managed an Oxfam shop in London for 12 years, and something silly happens there almost every day. Uh, the book is full of nuggets of delicious information about that mysterious place, the back room of a charity shop. Almost everything, the funny and the sad, has happened, and of course, I'm perfectly placed for sequels. Nothing like optimism, and there's nothing like this reading from Martin. The Shop of Second Chances by Miriam, read by Martin. Wanted charity shop manager to process donations and manage dozens of volunteers wages poor perks none must possess the patience of a saint someone is heaving an ancient stained mattress out the back of his van then he staggers across the pavement to prop it against the door of my charity shop i bang on the bus window no one will ever want to buy that have you never seen the bidding room i screech even though he can't possibly hear me the bus turns a corner and I wince. My head is very sore. It was Yasmina's leaving do last night. 
There were over 60 of us at the restaurant, shop managers and volunteers. That's how popular she was. Did I actually stand up to make a toast? I did. You were the best county leader we ever had. We will never have another of your elk. I mean ilk, I said and slammed my glass on the table and my colleague Maggie nudged me and told me to sit down and finish my pizza. Yasmina told us what she is going to do next, an archaeology degree, so not much different to her day job then. <laughs> She'll still be getting her hands dirty. And we gave her a new Kindle and one of those massive cards and she said how much she'd enjoyed working with us and how and two people cried. Most people left after that which meant I was totally obliged to stay and finish the wine with Yasmina, Maggie and three other managers, Dale, Aisha and Beryl. I can't imagine why you want to spend the rest of your life digging up old spoons, but I'm sure you'll enjoy it. And we will certainly, probably, learn to love our new county leader. Please tell us everything you know about Candida, said Aisha. Yasmina choked on her wine and had to be patted vigorously on the back by our charming young Italian waiter. When she had recovered and he had gone, after winking at Aisha, she said, I certainly could, but I really should tell you about your new boss instead. Her name is Candace, Candace Cartmer. They made us all repeat it. No one has been in the charity shop business as long as you, Maggie, but Candace is very experienced. She started out as a shop manager for the Red Cross near Birmingham and then moved to a bigger shop in Leeds, a thrift workshop. So she knows all about us and how we do things. Then she applied to be a county leader. Twice. You mean she got turned down? Asked Aisha and Yasmina said, yes, but hardly anyone wants to be a county leader, ever. We all nodded. The workload is huge and the pay is terrible. Then she decided enough was enough. I don't blame her really. And she got another job as a shop manager for CRO, said Yasmina, and we all sucked in our breath. CRO, the charity retail organization, is the Harrods of the charity shop world. They've been around longer than anyone else and where they go, everyone follows, usually years later and on a fraction of their budget. Their shops are easily recognized on any high street because they all look exactly the same. Each shop is fitted out with their trademark colours, peach and plum, and they all have faux wooden floors and matching wooden hangers for the clothes, which are arranged in size ascending order. The women's clothes are always at the front of the shop, with accessories down the right-hand corner, men's clothes on the left, and books and bric-a-brac at the back. You wouldn't know you were, if you were in Land's End or John O'Groats. You might not know, even know you were in a charity shop at all. Thrift workshops. Our shops are nothing like this. They all look different because our bosses don't like spending money on refits. So we improvise. Dale's shop used to be a butcher's and the walls are still lined with blue and white tiles. Very hipster, but freezing cold in the winter. Okay, there we go. I'm just looking at the... Uh, Room's comments, um, there is, there's an accordance of what I thought too, oh, I really like the title, I, thought, I was really getting into it, and then, we've got some heavy breathing going on here, is that, is that to do with the romance scene of the day? No, it's not, probably not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I was very excited about that submission. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, so lots of nice comments about Martin's reading. I totally agree with that. And Martin said, engaging, humorous and human. And then comes the but, of course. Uh, got a bit stodgy towards the end. And yeah, a number of other people say that too. Um, Pamela Jo says, yeah, I see what you mean about the stodgy and the dialogue. I don't really need to know this much about the new boss. Um... Vagabond, I want something else, more oddity perhaps. And Ed uh, sums it up, I think it's a spot on too much exposition. I was getting a business lecture then. I didn't want that, but maybe I'm wrong. What do you think, Emma? I really liked it. I have to say, I was laughing. And I know, obviously, Martin reads beautifully. He makes it me does. laugh all the time anyway. But I just thought, I really thought there was a clear voice for this character. You know, I, I would like to meet that character. I thought the characterization was brilliant. Um, I do take the point that that was suddenly towards the end. And I have to say, I missed the very beginning because my tech jumped out. But I came oh. back in for most of it. Um, but I really, I, you know, I was engaged. I wanted to read more. I, I thought... Um, this is the kind of character I want to read about, the kind of woman that I can identify with. Yeah. Um, the blurb I was a little bit confused with because the, I felt like the romance was just kind of bolted onto the end of the blurb. I didn't really understand. I yeah. wondered if maybe the boss was going to be the person she had the romance with. So I don't know if that's the case. If that's the case, I think then the person needs to be named, maybe, that she's going to have yeah. the... We need something about the... We need to be... The, can the carrot needs to be dangled about the romance a little bit more, I think, if you want it to be a romance book. But um, but no, I think style-wise, um, writing-wise, character-wise, I loved it. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, you are, you're dropping out of the picture rather uh, disgracefully here. Uh, have you have, have you just finished a bottle of gin or something? Maybe that would uh, explain. Right. <laughs> no. Okay, and that's great. That's perfect. Yeah, don't move. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, oh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, actually. Um, it's, it's been known. Um, this, all, all this CRO stuff. I'm going, I don't really care about that. Let's have some story. But, I mean, was that actually interesting to you? The, the CR, the, it the was, actually. It, it was. Oh, okay. I, I just oh, thought it was quite funny. funny. The way she called it the Harrods of the charity shop world, I thought was really yeah. comical. And then, yeah. and then that kind of contrast between theirs and, and hers and... No, we know we're not quite that that far. You know, we're not like that shop, and you know, because obviously the shop's going to be a big part of the setting, isn't it? So yeah, it is. We need, it is. We need to get that humour straight away. And you've I think gone she did all that. out. You've gone all out. I, have. I can see what you've done. You can. That's a five star <laughs> rating it. for for the com <laughs> commercial like appeal. Fantastic. <laughs> that's no greater recommendation. But let's see what Dean thought. Yeah, I mean, I, I too did really enjoy it. Um, I think starting with the title, I think the title's really good. It, it kind of fits this kind of thing um, perfectly, really. Um, and I think there's this, there's a, this is a quite, probably a quite a good case of writing what you know and that kind of old cliche yeah. of you write what you know because that's obviously what this lady's done. Totally. Apparently, that's what she did with her previous book as well um, yeah. about the about the pub. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she, it's she the worst, lives every the worst. every element of her story, doesn't she? That's amazing, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were bits of that, that made me laugh. I think like one of the standout lines for me was where she she was obliged to stay and finish the wine. I thought that was quite a good one. Yeah, um, me too. I like that. But yeah, we 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 did see a character. Um, coming out there you know i think i think it was a likable character there yeah i do agree to some point that i was getting a little bit bored towards the end with this, the description of all the shops um yeah the, the yeah but you see maybe like you're that. not so, a big shopper you see that might well, be the problem <laughs> <actually>. <laughs> you know, it might be as simple as that 
Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's probably personal preference. I think some of that could have been cut for my liking, but, um, yeah. but on the whole, I did enjoy it. And, and again, yeah. you know, I, I, I would have read on, you know. It's a sort of, you know what, it slight, uh, slightly reminds me of just a little bit, actually. I don't know if it's going to work out like that, but um, Notting Hill. Yeah. Substitute a bookshop for a charity. And maybe maybe there's even a role for Hugh Grant. Oh, no, please. Um <laughs> Let's have a look at the uh, genius room. Uh, Vagabond says, my favourite day working in a charity shop was when we had to explain about Fifty Shades of Grey to a collection of old ears who thought it was about paint. Yes. I love it. I love it. Oh, my goodness me. We should, uh, we should look at the numbers here. Oh, look at that. Miriam, absolute knockout. That is, really is going to be a tough one to beat. We don't get very many 74s every month. Um, so you're setting the standard there, Miriam. We have two more submissions. Who knows what's going to happen? Here we go, submission number four. Down at Dan's. It's fiction, romance, drama. By Mark. Hello, Mark. Mark Smith. This is Mark's blurb. Two people meet by chance in a bar. Their lives are changed forevermore. What exactly is it? with chance. I love the fact, oh, suddenly slipped into first person. I love the fact we're spinning on a pale blue dot in the vast blackness of space. And the fact our own unique individuality sits within the connected nature of everything. It's like we're in control, yet we're not. I love that concept of uncertainty and endless possibility. That's what I love about life and love. It's why I wrote Down at Dan's, a life story with love attached. That's a lot of nice stuff in there, but it's not really blue. Um, but I, I like the sentiments. Let me tell everybody about you, Mark. Originally from Dublin, I moved to the UK as a child in the mid-70s and now live in Inverness with my wife and two daughters. I've had several jobs, including several years of the daily newspaper, copywriting, designing adverts. That's all good experience. Um, done it myself. In addition to marketing, I worked as a welder. I haven't worked at that, but I've had a go. It's difficult. Uh, produced an employment newspaper, launched a football magazine across Scotland and Ireland. Busy. And created a range of scented products for the tourist market. <laughs> Connect all those together if you can. Uh, presently, I work as a mentor and employability trainer for young people. Down at Dan's is my first novel and was recently self-published through a small independent publisher. Because it's not really self-published. It's available on, on the Amazon and Waterstones websites. I'm currently writing the second, which I hope to publish early next year. And if we can help you do that with a reading by Emily, we will. Down at Dan's by Mark. Read by Emily. Chapter 1. In Search of Shadows. Despite appearances, Dan O'Donoghue's wasn't the only pub in central London nursing a Christmas hangover that night but it was the only Irish one. And, as Irish pubs went, it was far and away the best, having an authenticity the others lacked. The owner, Dan, was actually Irish, as were half the staff. Whiskey with an E was the predominant measure, as opposed to Scotch, and they knew exactly how to pour a pint of Guinness, supposing he had the time to hang around for one. It even had a peaty Irish smell about it. How they managed that without an open fire, he'd no idea. But for Hugo, it was a fragrant and frequent reminder of home, just a few minutes' walk from the flat he'd occupied for the last two years. they just entered Dan's in their usual manner, as though they owned the place and weren't about to be messed with. In saying that, staff there had a lot of time for them. They were generally respectful and occasionally very useful, particularly in coercing certain people to behave themselves. 
quickly scattering to find a table that left Hugo the arduous task of getting to the bar. He'd have done the same to them had he been any sharper. Watching as his friends disappeared, he smiled as he recalled the crack with Pat, good friend and founding member of the Lads, a title they were actually up all night thinking of, as they debated the power and influence of the modern music icon on the way to the pub just minutes earlier. What do you mean you love Beyoncé? You can't love Beyoncé, insisted Hugo. Who says I can't? asked Pat. You just can't. She's a brand, a business, a marketing machine. Saying you love Beyoncé is like saying you love Google or Tesco. Anyway, she wouldn't even look at the likes of you. You'd be lucky if she let you clean the toilet or empty your bin, argued Hugo. God, now I'd do that, Pat said eagerly. You're a sick man, Pat, so you are. A very sick man, he called after him. A cheeky thumbs up from Pat was the last Hugo saw of his friend before he turned to find himself engulfed in a sea of revellers that coalesced around him, like a slow grinding field of pack ice. He looked from point to point as if triangulating an escape route, then up at the period-style clock which hung centre stage above the optics on a finely carved wooden pediment. A prominent feature of the pub, Dan insisted he rescued the ornate Georgian edifice, totally legit, from a skip in Dublin's Henrietta Street. God was his witness apparently. He had to double-check the time. To his surprise, it wasn't even eight o'clock, yet already the lounge was packed to a standstill, the entire city, it seemed, out on one final binge before Monday's return to work. Pointless trying to circumvent the crowd, he decided to shoulder his way to the counter, determined to reach it before midnight, or at least make it close enough to shout his order and hope for the best. Either that, he thought, or call it a day and off it back to the adjacent near-empty sports bar. A familiar face of the weekend, few actually saw Hugo during the week, busy as he was copy-editing and proofreading. Even fewer since he'd happily embraced online shopping, though he did miss the girl on the till in his local branch. Emma? He'd found himself looking forward to their regular checkout chats. So much so, he'd begun to enjoy his twice-weekly shop for essentials, soon contemplating thrice-weekly for non-essentials. He wondered if she ever wondered what happened to him. If she had actually reserved a tiny space in her life, just for him. Not that that would have made a difference. The truth is, he'd already decided they were on the verge of starting something, so he backed off. It wouldn't be fair to her. He couldn't fit anything else in, empty enough as his life already was. And let's see what Emily, our uh, wonderful nar- mother of narrators, really, um, uh, says about that. Another great reading, Emily. Thank you. I thought this was enjoyable. She says some of the sentences were far too long, though, and an edit would improve it. But I'd read on. And Pamela Joe, um, as a corollary, need to meet someone else. An Irish story without dialogue? More crack, please. What did you think, Dean? Um, starting with the title, I think the title was very good. Um then on to the blurb. I mean, I think I wasn't the only one who was a bit confused by that. I think the blurb was very yeah. bizarre. <laughs> uh, and it didn't really tell us much about what the book is, you know, what the story is, um, other than the fact that um, somebody meets somebody. That's, that's about all I got of the story, but yeah, it's a bit, a bit confusing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the writing itself, it, it was good. I, I found it engaging. Um, I think it's, you know, he's an accomplished writer. Um, I think we had just, just enough description at the top about the bar just to set the scene i think we just got got to the point where i was like well come on and then it did move yeah something else um but there was then we got into a bit of exposition um with the characters i think we got into a little bit of telling where we could have seen a bit more dialogue there um so that's it slowed down didn't it it did slow yeah down, it did though. a bit yeah. yeah um 
So that's something to watch out for. Maybe get you know get something happening with these characters a bit quicker. Um, but having said that, again, you know the, the writing was very nice. It did read very well, um, and I did enjoy it. Good, fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, we've got one or two uh, pickups. Uh, Roger Doyle here. Did you think that Emma at all? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Dean. I like the writing. I think this person can clearly write. Um, sorry, I didn't note his name down. But um, Mark, yeah, can clearly Mark. write. Really, Mark. Sorry, Mark. Yeah. Um, so you're, I think your writing's great. I really like your writing, but I don't really know what this is about. So obviously, we've already said about yeah. the blurb. I like those. I like the first three lines, and then it isn't really a blurb. And then I'm reading this, and it's just this guy in a pub with his mates and the girl that he fancies yeah. down the supermarket. I don't, Emma, I don't know what it's Emma. about. He's, he probably is Emma, isn't he? I know, I'm not Emma. Emma. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Emma, it's we're not. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I just I, something needs to happen. Something needs to happen in that first chapter. We need. To, I need to know what it's about to want to read on further. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, as I say, I think the writing's really nice, but I'd be quite interested to see the synopsis of the whole thing, to see where it's going, and then I would maybe be able to give a bit more input on where it should start, because I think at the moment, I don't really know what's going on, No, if I'm really honest. no, I think that's absolutely bang on, actually. I think you got it right. Let's just go back to... Oh, we are the genius room already. Uh, a wee bit lost, says Johnny on Planet Lad. That's a nice way of putting it. Matt says, I was in at the opening. I think everyone was. But it's wandering already. Yeah, it does feel like... Uh, literally feel like a night out at uh, Dan's, doesn't it? Planet of the Emmers. Planet of the Emmers. Yes, <laughs> Wouldn't absolutely. that be a lovely place? <laughs> I just don't know. What I don't know is if our, our next submission, our final submission of the day, um, is going to have an error in, but we'll find out in a moment. There we go. Not another Emma. No, it's not. It's not another Cinderella. Yes, women's commercial slash romance. It's from almost Emma. Actually, it's from Emerald K. Lovely name, Emerald K. Yeah, it's close there. This is the blurb. Kit and Penny are in love, but they're from opposite ends of the social divide. Penny is an independent single mum working at her local supermarket. The supermarket, Kit's family own. They have love on their side, plus a motley assortment of family and friends, yet... It's hard to know who to believe when the Maitland family reputation's at stake, unless they can trust in the strength of their relationship. Outside hostility and old-school snobbery could destroy it all. Let me tell the world about you, Emerald. Uh, from the north of England, I'm an actor and writer. I've spent a lifetime performing the characters in other writer's scripts. This is my first attempt at creating my own. As a single parent, I've lived the highs and lows of going it alone and I'm immensely proud of my son who was brought up surrounded by funny, lovely, brilliant women and a scattering of gorgeous men. And we have more than a gorgeous reading from Bowley. Not Another Cinderella by Emerald Kay, read by Bev. Perhaps Kit's been at the hotel all this time, waiting. Maybe he's already caught a glimpse of Stanley. She's so nervous there's every possibility she'll be sick. His knock makes her jump. She answers immediately, opening the door wide for him to pass inside. Were you already here, she says. Of course. Right. He walks to the centre of the room and turns to face her. She sees the anxiety in his eyes and relaxes a little. 
He isn't here to fight. He's as nervous as she is. They watch each other in silence, and then in two strides, Kit has her in his arms. Automatically, her body moulds into his. I'm so sorry, Kit, she speaks into his shoulder. His clothes feel odd. He's dressed for the office in a suit and tie. She doesn't move. His scent is familiar, wonderful. I'm sorry too. I've been angry. It's a shock, Pen. Penny's hoped for this moment for so long, but she must keep strong, say what she has to say before losing her nerve. There's a lounge area in the suite. It feels too formal. She breaks away and sits on the bed. You want answers, and I've said I'll tell you everything and I will, but there's something I have to say first. She allows herself a second to breathe. If this isn't what you want, 100%, now's the time to change your mind. Penny catches his look of annoyance and holds up her hand to stop him interrupting. I don't want you to be here because of a misguided obligation to take responsibility. I'm giving you permission to walk away, forget about us, no regrets or recriminations. I won't pursue you, I promise, I won't even tell Stanley. She's rehearsed this so many times these last few days, and she's ready now to accept whatever he decides. You say you want to meet him, but if you're here without any intention of being a part of Stanley's life, then I'd prefer it if he doesn't learn who you are. It's not fair on him. He sits next to her and stares at the floor. You know, he says, you and Stanley are all I've thought about since finding you again. I want to meet my son. I won't pretend I'm ecstatic about being kept in the dark about him, but we made a child, Pen, that summer. He was conceived with so much love. He looks sideways at her. I know nothing about being a dad, but I'm here because I want this. That's the truth. She nods. His unspoken questions fill the quiet of the room. I thought we'd been so careful. We weren't always that careful, Kit. There were occasions times when sex just happened and we weren't always prepared. She's remembering moonlit skinny dipping in the Aegean Sea, the mountain hike in France. Why didn't you tell me, he says. I'd have come home in an instant, you know I would. I'd have done anything for you, Pen. She turns to look at him. You think I didn't try? I knew nothing about who you were, Kit, nothing. Not even your real name. That was a bit short. That was a bit short. I was expecting another few hundred words there. I don't know if you cut it off for any reason there, um, Emerald. But um, yeah, so let's just uh, go to the genius because I, I know Beverly is in there, our narrator. Let's see if we can find uh, her comment. Yeah, it feels says uh, vagabond. <laughs> I think I've just blown your uh, alias there. Uh, it feels a bit as if it's jumped into the middle of the story. Needs a bit of grounding first in order to care. Uh, Pamela Jo has got a first line suggestion. I want to meet my son. Great idea. Yeah. And Johnny says it's an emotional scene, but we don't know the characters yet. Hard to empathise. Straight to our very own Emma. What did you think? Yeah, I agree with that last comment. That I, 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 again, I think that um, beautiful reading by Beverly, by the way, mm -hmm. really beautiful reading. Um, I think I was a bit confused to start with. I, I really liked the writing. I really felt it was engaging. The characters were good. I liked the dialogue. It was very dialogue heavy. I would say that. Um, I was also a bit confused because the store, the title, not another Cinderella. I didn't quite understand how that connected with the blurb or what we've just read, because it sounded a bit more like Romeo and Juliet rather than Cinderella, if, if we were going to pull an analogy. Um, 
and the same thing really i think i, I liked the blurb i think there's there's a lot here i love the idea of this kind of you know this different classes of person and, and across the divide but yeah for us to be engaged and be with this we need a bit more we need to know at least one of these characters a bit more before yeah. this is going to affect us got to get invested in them a bit haven't we yeah i think we need yeah, yeah we need a, maybe a chapter before this okay um prose is pretty good though wasn't it actually pretty pretty good yes i did i did yeah i think it was very fluid mm. um i would have happily read on to be honest i would have yeah. kept going with it i thought yeah. it was well written i thought the characters were starting to come through um yeah so i definitely would have read on but I, I wonder, like someone said in the in the room, I wonder if she's maybe needs to start just a little bit earlier. That was a good idea, Dean. Mm. Yeah, similar kind of things, really. Yeah, I mean, it, I said there's, there's certainly, um, as you said, there's nothing wrong with the prose. I mean, you know, the writing was pretty good. Dialogue, um, I didn't mind. Uh, I mean, Emma said it was a bit dialogue heavy. I didn't mind that, but then that's that's kind of similar to what I do. I tend to write a quite dialogue heavy, um, but. I did find some of the dialogue a little bit on the cheesy side. I don't know whether anybody else did. I found there's a little bit, little bit cliche some of the things we're saying for me. Okay. Um, but you know it's pretty solid. Um, the, the, somebody made a good comment about perhaps starting with a line about I want to meet my son. Um, I'm not sure who it was. Yes, that was Pamela. Comment. Pamela Joe, and I, yeah. yeah, that that would have been a really powerful line. Actually, um, maybe a line straight out of one of Emma's books, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. very much. Yeah. No, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I say just, I haven't got too much to criticise it really. Um, I can see that. I think Emma Rule again is, is perhaps writing from experience quite a bit here. Yeah. Um, that's what I got in her kind of bio about how I think she's a single parent as well, and yep. being supported by kind of friends and family. So I think we'll get to that kind of the, the elements of that to the book as well. Um, but yeah, not a bad start. I think maybe just a little bit of um, good, a little bit of moving around there. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, Vagabond says, "Yeah, someone used to scripts, that's, uh, scripts at television, radio, film, theatre. Uh, yeah, would maybe uh, towards dialogue more. Um, good. All right, and we need to look at the numbers there. And then, yes, uh, you got a good score there, Emerald." Nothing to be ashamed of at all, actually. Lots and lots of lovely comments as well. But now comes the, the moment of truth. Here we go. Look at that. Everyone's done pretty well today. I want to say a big shout-out to Lex, who I think is one of our youngest ever, actually. So, yeah, we, we're well behind you there, Lex. We're not going to, not going to lead you on. But we are, we are very optimistic about, uh, about you in particular. However... However, really today, there's only one that really stands out big time, of course, and that is... Congratulations, Miriam. <laughs> you've done it. And you've not just won the show, you've actually got a stonkingly great score that could stand you in very good stead in terms of the monthly winner as well. Who can say? We don't know until we uh, we do it all, all over again same time next week. Before then, though, I do want to say thank you so much to our fabulous guests today, Dean and the one and only Emma, of whom there have been multiple copies today, but there's only ever really one Emma Robinson, who's, of course, now a USA Today best-selling author. And how fabulous is it to be able to say that? Uh, lots of love, and see you same time next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait!
Okay now, from the beginning. Hit it, boys. Big boys play.